God, just thank you for this chance tonight just to, to dig into your word and to see uh, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. God, and there is no other way but you. God, may we, if, if we've wrestled with that question or if we are currently, God, may we just see um, that there's such thing as absolute truth and that it's you. God, may we uh, just be challenged tonight. May May we learn something, and, and may we, and may we just uh, leave here just a little, little more understanding of our faith, a little more foundation of what we believe and why we believe it, God. Shame, I pray. Amen. All right, so um, asking for a friend, like I said, this is I'm, I'm I'm pretty excited for this series. I haven't been this excited for a series in a while. Um, these are questions that, like I said, you may or may not be asking yourself. Uh, you may have friends ask these questions. And so it's asking for a friend. Last week we did, um, can I trust the Bible? That's a pretty good question. Something that we as, as followers should have an answer to, right? Um, and tonight is, 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 is uh, Jesus the only way. If, uh, if for whatever reason you guys miss, for some reason... Um, I have this little lapel thing now, and so now I, I, I've been doing it for two years now. But I record them and I put them on on a podcast. You guys can go and listen anytime. Just search for and Student Ministry on whatever podcast service you guys use, and you can listen. So if you weren't here for last week's with the um, "Can I Trust the Bible?", I would encourage you guys to check it out because it was. I thought it was. I thought it was good, not because of anything I said, but because of uh, God's word is truth. So, is. Jesus, the only way. One of the things I love most about traveling internationally for mission trips is getting to see people worship in, in their own native tongue. Um, September two years ago, no, three years ago, uh, 2018, I was in the Dominican Republic on a mission trip and got to go to a Spanish-speaking worship service and see them, uh, and, and man, they got after it. It's, I have some video, it's really cool. Uh, while on a mission trip... To a youth camp in Costa Rica, we got to attend a worship. So we were helping run this youth camp, the facilities and things, while there was a youth camp going on. So we got to go worship with the believers at this youth camp, and it was all Spanish speaking. You know, we didn't know a whole lot. Some people may even know more than I did. But I, you know, when we're singing songs, you can kind of pick out the, the the music, right? You guys kind of know if you know the songs. If you grew up in church, you hear a song, you know, okay, that's what this is. And so we're sitting there singing. And it was, how great is our God? And he said, I don't know what's on the, the screen, but I knew what the, the music was, so we were still, our group was singing it all in English while the camp was singing it all in Spanish. And I, I, I remember that moment very vividly. I remember going to China and getting to go to worship services in China and, and see them um, sing and, and read the Bible in Chinese. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do on, the, on these trips, is to see people worship in their native tongue. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm super excited. Hopefully, if things work out, we get to go to, to Israel in a couple months and uh, get to worship with people there. Um, on a side note, uh, pray for the Jewish people right now. Um, last night at, at sundown started with what's called Rosh Hashanah, which is their Jewish New Year. And so a lot of people, it's, and from, from now until uh, for 10 days, it's called the 10 Days of Awe. And then it ends with Yom Kippur, which is like their most holy day on the Jewish calendar. And so there's going to be Jewish people doing this and observing these things. And they're going to be seeking for truth and seeking these things and looking at, you know, 
looking to God for these things. So may they pray for them that they may see Jesus in what they read in the Old Testament, right? You got me? It's beautiful stuff. It's really cool. All right. And so these types of experiences, some of you guys may have been able to experience this. If you've been to Moldova, we got to hear him saying it in Russian, and that was weird because it sounds angry, but whatever. Um, it's cool to experience people singing and, and doing these things. And, and um, so these types of experiences bring us to the place where our faith and, and our love for other people, they kind of collide. Because recognizing that there are people all over the world that have never even heard the name of Jesus it's, it's a harsh reality, but it's truth. And one that always turns our hearts maybe in somersaults as we try to reconcile the truth that Jesus is the only way, yet there's so many who do not know him. So our, our head reminds us that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, but our hearts ache for people who may never hear that name of Jesus. So that brings us to that tough question for tonight. Let's see if it's working now. You can do that. Is Jesus the only way to the Father? Is Jesus the only way to the Father? I do have it in the Bible app if you guys want to follow along. At the very bottom, there's a, a seven-day Bible reading plan just to go a little bit further with this series, with, with this lesson. Is Jesus really the only way for us to receive salvation? You know, isn't, isn't that kind of judgmental and, and exclusive to other people, other faiths? So as we seek to answer that question tonight of, is Jesus the only way to the Father. There really are three other questions that we have to answer that I think will help us, that give us the larger answer to this question. So we're going to answer this question by answering three other questions, okay? So the first question we're going to answer is, don't all religions have truth? The second fundamental question we have to wrestle with is tough. I mean, don't all religions contain truth? It's a, it's a tough one to navigate because it leads us to a false realization because, yes, most religions do contain truth in some form of various degrees. When Buddhism says that all suffering has a purpose and can be used for growth, that's true. Doug preached on that this past week. You know, if anybody in here ever goes through tough times in life, they only come out with a deeper faith than when it started. That's what, that's what Buddhism teaches. That's a, so that's the truth contained within Buddhism. When Islam said there's absolute unity in God, that there will be a final judgment, those things are truth. When Hinduism says that souls are eternal and so is truth, capital T truth, that's true as well, right? But just because a worldview or religion contains elements of truth does not mean that it is completely true. You guys got me? Yes, shake your head yes, because I want to make sure you guys are paying attention, because this is, if you miss this, you, you could think of what I'm saying is teaching you falsehood, right? So I'll make sure you understand this. Just because something is partially true, and they do have some nuggets of truth in there, doesn't mean it's all true. You got me? Yes, shake your head if you understand. Okay, all right. Because so I want you to go home and tell your parents, well, Ryan said that Buddhism, Christianity are all true. I don't, okay, that's, I have proof right here. I'm not saying it. Okay, so, so trust me. So that's, I want to make sure you understand this. But imagine this. Imagine you're about to go in for a major surgery. And this is life and death kind of surgery, right? And you speak with the doctor who's about to perform the surgery. He tells you a little bit about the operation and what to expect. Tells you about what his qualifications, his experience, like have done this like 45,000 times or whatever. And how comfortable he is performing this type of surgery. And then after he leaves, you're told by the nurse that the doctor's words are just partly true. Well, what would you do? Would you be really excited about that then? Or would you hope that his words are fully true. 
You want them to be fully true, not just partly true. Because just because something is partially true does not mean it's completely true. In fact, I think this is one of the, the most clever things about Satan's tactics. Because he knows that we, we won't be able to deceive you with a direct attack or, or just a blatant lie. So he knows the only way to trick, trick you is to season those lies with a little bit of truth. So maybe you're like, oh, maybe it is true then. Well, it is partially true, so maybe it's all true, right? That's not what this is. The second question, aren't all religions leading to the same conclusion? Are they all leading <coughs> us to, to heaven? Are they all leading us to the same God? Many people believe that eternal life is just the destination. That there are many roads that can get us all to the same place. That all religions lead us to salvation is what they say. Uh, Oprah, she believes this, this reality, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is what the Universalist Church believes. If you ever go like, on Neely and Midkiff, there's a church right across the street. I think it's Neely and Midkiff. that says Universalist Unitarian Church, whatever it is. That's, that's what they believe. That all religions are the same and all teach that they're, they all go to the same place. And this is, I want you guys to understand, okay? This is, everybody look at me, make sure you're focusing. This is a crucial truth that we must understand. Because our world that we're living in now is very politically correct. And um, we're, we're more afraid of, of, of offending somebody. We're more afraid of, of our reputation being tarnished than we are of our love for the truth. Got me? And so, so we're, we're, you know, so in this politically correct world we live in, we're supposed to, to respect everybody's religion. But the truth is that the world's religions cannot coexist because they're totally opposed to each other. They just logically cannot coexist. Each, each religion is exclusive. If you talk to each one of those religions, they're going to tell you that their way is are correct and the other ways are wrong, every one of those. So they can't all be true. You got me? Logically speaking, not each one of those can say that theirs is all truth and everybody else's is wrong because that just doesn't logically makes sense. One of them has to be truth and the others are not. You know, example one here. Christians say that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. We believe that His death, His burial, and His resurrection saved us from our sins forever, right? This is what we believe. Jewish people say that the Messiah has not yet even come. They believe that Jesus was not the Son of God, but He was a good Jewish man and a preacher that was killed by some Romans. That's Jewish thought. Example number two, Christians say that Jesus was God in the flesh, God incarnate. Emmanuel, God with us. We, think, we talk about that a lot, especially at Christmas time. Muslims say that Jesus was a good teacher, a prophet. And then Muhammad eventually came along, and his words would then trump the words of what Christ said. So they believe that Muhammad is a better prophet than Jesus, and his words should be trusted more than the words of Jesus. You got it? And number three, Mormons say that Jesus was Satan's brother. He was a created being, and he's not God at all. There we go. So there's, you have these three groups, these small examples. So there's no way that all these three can coexist together because it logically just doesn't work. You know, how can these worldviews coexist? How can we just pretend that those differences are small and they don't really matter? Uh, in a conversation with a Muslim friend I have on Facebook, he said the only difference really between Islam 
in Christianity is that we don't believe Jesus was God. Well, that's kind of the whole thing, right? That they're kind of missing the whole point of who Jesus was. So it's not just a small thing that they're missing. It's missing a huge truth and reality. Now, those who say that all religions are equally right sound like 2 Timothy 3. This is what it says. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We like, we like to be patted on the back when we come to church. We like to have these warm fuzzies and told that we're good, that we're good enough and, and all these things like that. But that's, that's, we're wanting our ears to be itched is what that means. And wanting things just to make us feel good but not to convict and to, to show us what truth really is. And that's kind of where this generation, this world is, is, is turning. We want to be told that we're good enough and that, you know, these things, that, we're, that we're okay. We don't really need God. We're good enough on our own. And that is not, that's not true. And then Joshua 24 says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the thing is, you, you must choose. And we must not be deceived into believing that all religions lead to heaven. And the third question, is Jesus really who he says he is. The true identity of Jesus is one of the most controversial and meaningful debates that has ever taken place in the history of mankind. In fact, the person of Jesus is probably by far the most controversial figure and person in the history of the world. There's so many, both sides, and just controversy rises from this, this man. And Jesus made some pretty radical claims while he was alive and about who he was. If they're false, then we can write Jesus off as a false teacher. If they're true, then we must at least consider that Jesus may indeed be the only way to salvation. So what are some of those claims that Jesus made? I'm glad you guys asked. In John 8, if you guys have the Bible app and you have this, this I have this whole list here written down so you guys can see it. In John 8, Jesus claimed to be sinless. Can anybody in here claim to be sinless? You can raise your hand, but I'm going to call you live for raising your hand. In John 17, Jesus claimed to have shared the glory of heaven with the Father. Have you ever shared the glory of heaven with God? I didn't see any hands going. All right. In Luke 7, Jesus claimed to have had the ability to forgive sins. In Luke 22 and 23, Jesus claimed to be a heavenly king. In John 11, Jesus claimed to be the resurrection in the life. In Luke 18, Jesus predicted his own death and burial and resurrection. In Matthew 25, Jesus claimed he would return to judge the entire world. In John 10, Jesus himself said, I and the Father are one. That's verse 30. In John 14, Jesus claimed to be the way and the truth and the life, that he was the only way to the Father. These are just a few of the things that Jesus claimed. Last week, we talked about a guy named C.S. Lewis. Love the guy. Here's another quote uh, from C.S. Lewis. He said, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. 
that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level, uh, on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he is the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing, patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I love that quote from C.S. Lewis. I told you guys last week to read C.S. Lewis. You guys should check out C.S. Lewis. Because here's the truth. If the Jews believed he was a good teacher, right? The Muslims believed he was a good teacher and prophet. If he made these claims, especially John 10.30, when he specifically said out loud, I and the Father are one, it's kind of a big deal. If he said that, and he's, they're saying he's a good teacher, but they don't believe him to be God, is he really a good teacher if he's telling them lies? This is a softball. This is an easy question here. If you go to class and your teacher teaches you everything incorrectly about your history assignment and history class, are they a good teacher? No, they're teaching you everything wrong. And so why, why is, if, if he is telling them these things, that I and the Father are one, and that he's the resurrection life, and all these other things, if he was a good teacher, but they don't believe him to be, a good, be, to be God, then they're calling him a liar. He's not really a good teacher. And that's what C.S. Lewis was saying. By the very definition of the word good, lying whenever you teach doesn't fit a good teacher. Historically, you just cannot deny that there was a person named Jesus who lived in Nazareth in the first time. There's too much evidence of his existence, too much evidence of his teachings and his followers now here today to, 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 and to deny with any credibility. If you see over in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about where Paul's writing this letter and like, there's 500 people that have witnessed Jesus resurrected. 500. If what I'm telling you is true or, or false, you just have to go find one of somebody and they'll tell you that it's false. But he's saying, what I'm writing to you is truth because 500 people witnessed it and we all have the same story because it is truth. So now what? That's good. I'm telling you all these things. So now what? What would you do with this information? As we've already mentioned, many will dismiss him and say that he was just a good teacher. But I believe that he proved himself to be the Son of God. So the question is, what do you believe? Is he just a good teacher? Or is he truly, in fact, the Son of God? Uh, here's, here's just a few ways I think he showed that he was who he claimed to be. Um, I can't find, I have no clue where this is. I, I made a, um, a bulletin board my very first Christmas here with the prophecies of Jesus. Anybody, anybody remember seeing that in my adults? I remember that. I had this bulletin board and there was full of yarn all over it. And so on this bulletin board, like I said, I've looked, I can't find it anywhere on this church campus. Um, but I took the prophecies that all concerned the birth of Jesus. And so, like, if I had the bulletin board like this, so all on this side it had the, the books of the Old Testament, and on this side was all the books, uh, or the, I guess mostly the, the Gospels, and there may be like Acts and some other ones. But I had strings attached for each verse that proved who Jesus was, or like the prophecy about Jesus in the Old Testament and how he, confer- yeah, how he com- you know, 
fulfilled it just, just in the birth. And this thing was full of strings and yarns going all which way. It's crazy. Because Jesus uniquely fulfills every single prophecy about him in the Old Testament, which is not a small feat. Uh, some of these prophecies, um, Jesus had no possible way of influencing because he was his lineage. He had no way of controlling who his parents were, correct? Did you have any control over who your parents are? No, that's not how this works. He had no control over, because remember the, the Bible said that the Messiah is going to come from the line of David, correct? So he had no way of influencing that decision. It said he was going to be born in Bethlehem, right? It said he's going to be born of a virgin. He had no way to control those prophecies. He fulfilled over 300 prophecies, and it's crazy. There's a, um, a book I read by, by Josh McDowell was talking about if you took like the little half-dollar piece coin, you know what that is, like the half-dollar, like this big? If you filled it like three feet deep <clears throat> and put it in the state of Texas, which I don't know if you know, but it's, it's pretty big, three feet deep, state of Texas, and you got one coin, you marked an X on it, threw it inside Texas, and you mixed it all up somehow, I don't know how that would work, and you reached down and grabbed one coin, the odds of you finding that one coin with the X are the odds that Jesus would have fulfilled all the prophecies written about him in the Old Testament. I don't know if you guys know, that's a big number. I like, it's a stupid amount. That's, Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. And so, uh, it's just amazing. And he also, he had power over nature. He just showed that he was the creator by controlling nature. He healed illnesses. He turned water to wine. He calmed the wind and the waves with just his voice. Repeatedly throughout the Gospels, Jesus performed miracles over nature in the presence of many people that saw it. Uh, I don't know many people who could claim to have power over disease and the wind and the waves and even death, but then to be able to back it up. Because I could say that all day long, but I, I can't back it up. Jesus could. And he had power over the grave. Three separate times during his earthly ministry, Jesus raised people from the dead. You had the widow's son in Luke 7. Chapter 8, you have Jairus' daughter. And then in John chapter 11, you have the... the the raising of Lazarus. And of course, after his death, Jesus rose from the dead just as he promised. And he appeared to over 500 witnesses after he was crucified. That's, that's who my Jesus is. So is Jesus the only way to salvation? It, it almost sounds narrow-minded. It does sound exclusive. But the thing is, it's exclusive to the entire world. It's open to anybody. Most times the truth is narrow. Most times, especially on things that really matter, there's only really one right way. Like two plus two equals four. There is no debate. There's only one way. Matthew 7 says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It's a sobering reminder for the church in America. Because our hearts want to love others. So we find ourselves trying to balance between the truth of Jesus' words and the desire to have for others to be saved. A few years ago at a passion conference, Beth Moore said this, You will watch a generation of Christians, of Christians, set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. 
This will be perhaps the cleverest of all the devil's schemes in your generation. To sacrifice truth for love's sake. You will rise or fall based upon whether you will sacrifice one for the other. Will you have the courage to live in the tension of both truth and love? God, tonight, just as we get ready to break up into our small groups, I pray that they see the importance of knowing the answer to this question and believing it and affirming that Jesus is the only way. God, we looked at the evidence, looked at different things. God, may, may these kids walk out of here knowing with certainty that, that you're it, you are the way. God, may there be discussion, may there be um, just chances of growth as we uh, continue on with our night. In your name I pray. Amen.